out, nobody on. The payoff to Murphy. Left-hand batter, strike three call. To the knees and right down the middle of the plate. But down, Murphy. Some games go on for a long time. This one's still going on in my mind. Welcome to episode 19 of the Autobot Podcast. My name is Justin Viver, and as always, I'm joined by Niv Shaw and Chad Young. Uh, on tonight's episode, we're going to talk about um, free agency, basically, auto new free agency. Uh, the trade deadline has passed, so any auto new teams that are looking to acquire players have to do so either by waiver claims or 48-hour free agent auctions. So we're going to talk about with through the focus of contending teams that are looking for short-term performance to win their league or to place in the top three. Um, we'll probably do another episode later talking about targets for rebuilding teams, potentially. Um, we have three different buckets that we sort of tr uh, identified for, for ranges that we wanted to talk about. We're going to talk about players that are rostered in under 50% of leagues, players that are currently rostered under 25% of leagues, and the deep sleepers that are rostered under 10% of leagues. Before we start going through those lists, though, I wanted to mention one name that is not eligible because he's currently rostered in, oh, I just had it up. He's, he's now at about 75% of leagues rostered. Which, which changed a lot in the last two days. Which changed drastically, um, and that's Dane Dunning. Now, in the last seven days, he's been added in 33% of leagues. In the last 30 days, he's been added in almost 68% of leagues. So before he was called up, um, like the 19th or 20th, I think, of August is when they announced that he was being uh, brought up to the to the White Sox. Uh, he was like 6.5% roster rate, and he's now, like I said, at 75%. Um, well, and when we, when we first started talking about planning for this episode and we decided on these 50, 25, 10 buckets, uh, he was in my 25 bucket two and a half, three days ago, maybe four days ago, but really recently, um, that number skyrocketed, obviously. And and so, yeah, act fast. Don't wait. Yeah, and, and not only has his availability changed dramatically in just five or six days, but the price to acquire him, uh, the bids required to, to win his services has gone up quite a bit. I, I pulled my nine leagues um, in five of them, he was auctioned in August for an average salary of $4.40. In four of them, he was just auctioned this week, and the average salary is $11. So it's a $6.50 difference. Now, small samples, I know it's not the entire auto new pool, but the, the trend, I think, is definitely true that when he, he came up and he's pitched well, very well, so his price has only gone up from the moment he was called up. So... Justin, let me ask you, uh, for Dane, specifically Dane Dunning, uh, what put him on your radar before he pitched well in the majors? He he had had some really good minor league performances. I have that um, prospect stat dashboard. Um, he was hurt last year, but in 2018, he sort of popped up as a, as a guy who was really having some very good performances. I think he's also had some somewhat favorable steamer projections. 
Um, so that's what made me interested in adding him before he had any, you know, before he was called up. Like at the moment it was announced he was coming up. Um, that's when I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to wait any longer to, to try to add him because now he's coming up. So I need to do it now or I'm not going to get a chance. Um, it just so happens in those two starts, he's pitched really, really well. Um, he's got a 34.9 CSW, which we've mentioned before is that sort of pitcher list, um, focused pitching measure. And that would place him sixth among starting pitchers with a minimum threshold of hundred pitches thrown, which is a very low threshold. Yes. And it's only two starts, but the results have, are, have been there and the peripherals, at least so far through those two starts have been there as well. So I'm very encouraged by, um, by him. Um, and, and on a contending team, if he's available in your league, 100%, you need to start an auction for him right away. But I was thinking, the other thing with Dunning is the white Sox uh, have the Royals next, then the pirates, then the tigers. Then they've got the Twins, and so it gets a little bit harder. Um, the Reds, the Indians were not a very good offense, uh, and then they finish with the Cubs. There are really only two to three tough series in which he's going to make one to two tough starts, maybe. Um, and so you've got a, a really nice, soft landing for him in the majors here. I think yeah. his last two starts are actually against the Royals and the Tigers already. So he's he's uh, easing his way in. <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah, which is great. And he's probably I mean he's not going to probably pitch very long into these games. I think his two starts were like four and five innings. So um you know, he's not going to go deep into the game. So if that's important for you like in a head-to-head league where you want the total points over the points per inning pitched efficiency, um maybe there are better options, but even then I think he's still good enough that that you want to focus on him. Um all right, but we can we can move past that that sort of introduction and me swooning over Dane Dunning. Um Chad, why don't you start discussing some names that interested you in that 25 to 50% rostered uh, range? Yeah, so I think I'm going to talk about a couple different types of guys a little bit, and um, at least with the bats, where uh, teams are going to find themselves in different situations when they're contending. And in some cases, you've got, you know, you've got four or five outfielders you feel really good about. you got a couple other guys you play pretty often, but what you're running into is every once in a while on a Monday or Thursday or when one of your teams is shut down because of COVID or when someone gets a day off, you're short and you need someone you can just plug in. Um, and in those situations, I think you're really looking at, you need a guy who can play basically every day. Uh, and there's some, I think I would call them boring names. Uh, Nick Markakis, Jason Hayward, uh, Jay Bruce, like, Veteran outfielders, all performing pretty well, um, doing a good job, have have missed either missed time this year in the case of Marquecas from opting out and then back in, or Bruce because of injury, um, or Hayward who just seems to be under the radar right now, uh, where you can go get them. And they're not necessarily going to blow you away or wow you or anything like that. But if it's a Thursday and you've only got three outfielders and you need to get a fourth game, or you only have four outfielders, you need to get a fifth game because you're behind the pace, you know they're in the lineup. Those guys are in the lineup every day. You can plug them in. You can count on them. They're going to be above replacement level for you. And right now they're doing really well. Um, a guy I'm really interested in who maybe doesn't fit that bill is Garrett Cooper with the Marlins. Uh, he was a, a sort of a hot sleeper, I feel like, before the season. He had a good year last year. Uh, Marlins moved the fences in, and so there was some, oh, maybe there'll be a little bit more pop behind him. And then he missed uh, almost the entire season up until, what, what, a week ago, I think he came back. 
Uh, and so right now, he's still only around 30% rostered. That's actually going up. It was closer to 25 or 27% in the last few days, and now it's up over 31% rostered. Um, but he's a really good platoon bat. He's a, he's a weak side platoon, but he's good enough against righties that you can use him against bad right-handed pitchers. Um, I don't think you want to use him, use him in really tough matchups against righties, but you can use him pretty often. And so the, the reason I compare him to like Marcakis or Hayward or Bruce is if you're, if you've got a team where you know that you, you've, you need somebody who can just step in whenever you need them. Cooper may not be it because if he's facing a tough righty or even even a not bad righty. So let's call it, you know, half the time he's facing a right-handed pitcher who you don't really want to match it up with. He's not ideal. Um, but if you've got a team where you're mixing and matching, you're playing matchups in your outfield a lot, you've got six or seven guys you like, but you're playing whoever has the best uh, opportunity that day, he's often going to step up and be one of your top five outfielders in those cases. Because anytime he's facing a lefty, and oftentimes when he's facing a bad righty, you can you can throw him into your lineup, and he's putting up really good numbers. Yeah, and I I had done a little bit of you done like like we've had on other episodes. Chad did a lot of the work here, um, adding a bunch of names, and then I sort of followed up with an additional research. And Cooper was one of the ones where I put together a little list basically trying to look at the stat cast performance for some of these names to see if there were any that jumped out to me and cooper of among the cohort of players that are rostered in under 50 percent of leagues he was top of the leaderboard in the stat cast metrics he's got a 99th percentile barrel percentage right now um the max ex- exit velocity is not great it's under 110 um but the the regular ex- the average ex- exit velocity is pretty good at 91.9 um, and he's also got a very good, obviously he's hitting the ball really well right now with his, with his weighted on base, um, is a, uh, 398. So I think the stack cast is backing up the performance that he's had so far in a small sample. He's had flashes before he's a career 336, uh, weighted on base with a 110 WRC plus. So he can hit, um, and the Marlins have opportunities for guys to play. So if he, you know, right now, maybe he's not playing every day, but he could be, if, especially if he keeps hitting like this. Um, and he's definitely a guy that I've got, that I've I've added in a couple places. And, and also with Hayward, and you make a really good distinction between players that are sort of, they're sort of reinforcements for you if you're short on games caps and you just need better than, I shouldn't say warm body, better than a warm body because you don't want to just run out a guy that's going to get you three points per game in a, in a Fangrass points league. Um, but a guy like Hayward or Marcakis, uh, you also had a note on Kevin Pilar would be another example. A guy that's going to play a lot and going to be above replacement while he's doing that. Um, it's not worth a ton, but for a contender that's short on game caps, it's definitely something to, to, to prioritize. So Yeah, and Pilar is a really good call out. I mean, he's, he's putting up the best points per game from a Fangraphs points perspective of his career, and he just got dropped into Colorado, uh, which is a... I don't know if you guys have heard. It's a pretty good hitter's park. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure if that's well known, but it, it is. So uh, I'm like, yeah, I, I, but I do think Pilar falls into that sort of Bruce Hayward, Marcakis group where like nobody's getting excited about him. I don't think you're going to go out and add him and then suddenly decide like, man, I'm going to definitely keep this guy. He's a cornerstone of my outfield into the future. Whereas maybe some of the guys we talk about today will be that. Um, but you can just plug him in. And you can use them when you need them, and that's that's super valuable. Um, and I think talking about guys who who, in theory, could become a cornerstone of your team at some point. Um, 
Bobby Dahlbeck, uh, who the Red Sox recently called up, uh, qualifies at first base and third base in in Auto New. Uh, he he's an on base and power guy at the corners. He's he was in my under twenty five percent bucket when we started this research. He's now moved into the under fifty percent bucket. So he's another one of these guys who's who's rising fast. Um, he's a guy who I'm not sure. I think like he's not. He's not an elite prospect. I don't think it's likely that he's going to turn into a star first baseman or third baseman for the Red Sox. I do think that for a contending team right now looking for someone they can plug in and get points from, he can do that for you. Uh, He comes with the upside that who knows what, you know, he may play his way into like a full-time role with the Red Sox next year. And all of a sudden, if he's their their starting first baseman next year, you know, that has value. And maybe you decide you are going to keep him. Like there's something interesting there. Um, But I think he's a really interesting guy right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and the other thing to, to mention with Dahlbeck is he is 25, so he's a little bit older for a guy who's making his debut, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because it could mean that he just he just hits the ground running a little bit. So the ceiling's not very high, but maybe he's just a guy that um, can, can put it together and just be functional right away. I mean, he's struggled a little bit so far, um, but I do think that he's he's a guy to, to, to keep an eye on, especially if you need help in – the corner spots because first base and third base have been kind of atrocious this year um, from a pan, uh, from a fantasy perspective. So it's in in a normal year, I feel like the first base, third base eligibility wouldn't be that valuable. But I I feel like maybe this year there's a little bit of a boost to having that eligibility. Um, speaking of eligibility, real quick, another name that I wanted to mention is Mike Brousseau for the Rays. Um, he has some pretty favorable eligibility, and of course, I don't have it. At my fingertips right now, he is a. Um, oh my goodness, I should have been better prepared. First base, second base, third base, outfield eligibility. Um, so really, he's just missing shortstop and catcher eligibility. He is currently rostered in under twenty eight percent of leagues, so he's barely in this bucket rather than the twenty five and under bucket. Um, and he's been stinging the ball. The problem is he doesn't play every day and he doesn't, he's mostly um, a short side platoon guy who plays against left-handed batter uh, pitchers for the race. But when he plays, he's been hitting really well. So in contrast to a guy like Hayward, where you want to have him because you just need him to be there every day. Cause you need to, to have somebody to fill your lineup. Rousseau would be sort of like a luxury pickup where you're just looking for somebody to give you the positional flexibility, the eligibility that he has, but you're really only going to play him the, what, one-third of the time maybe um, that he's going to be in the lineup. But at least when he is in the lineup, I'd be pretty confident about slotting him in somewhere um, in my auto new lineup when he's starting. I think that the challenge with Rousseau for me is I think he's actually been less than a third of a time. He isn't – he doesn't appear, and maybe this will change over time the way he's hitting it should probably, but he doesn't appear to actually be a pure when there's a lefty on the mound, the Rays put him in the lineup kind of guy. Um, he's been more of a when there's a lefty on the mound and it's the right day for someone to get a day off or and they need to get him some at bats or something like that. He's done a lot of pinch hitting against lefties and he'll probably continue to do that. But that doesn't that doesn't help us. Yeah, it doesn't help um, at all. No, he is playing well enough to have earned a full time platoon role, um, if not a shot at, at a more complete role. Um, but I don't know that he's going to get it. And so. I do think he is a luxury. I think on a team where you're sort of thin at middle infield and you're thinking like every day you're looking at who are my guys facing the ability to plug him in even a couple times a week is really valuable. Um, you just might only get one or two a week out of him. Yep. 
Yeah. So looking at, moving away from the the bats, well, one other I guess one other bat to mention really quickly for me, uh, Martin Maldonado. Um, only mentioning him because he's a catcher. I try to put a catcher in each of these groups because I find like catcher can sometimes be difficult. I often find myself in leagues where. Uh, I started the year slow at catcher because I figured I'd catch up later. There was no reason I can use the two catcher slots. Yeah. But um, sometimes your catchers never come around. You really believe in Danny Jansen like I did, and it just hasn't really worked out. And you need a catcher, and Maldonado's a catcher, and he's hitting pretty well. And so he falls in this bucket where in more than half a leagues, he's going to be available to you. Um, other bats that are just sort of out there, uh, Eric Thames, like he's he's been bad this year but he's it's only a month and he's slumped before and been good and I think I would keep an eye on him and you know he's a guy who if he gets hot could carry your team for a couple weeks and so he, he's worth watching um, I think that's sort of I think that's sort of it for the bats I think as you start to look at, at pitchers uh, we tried to talk about Dane Dunning but he is graduated from this <laughs> discussion um, starting pitchers are actually pretty thin here I think that the guy who jumps out at me is Colby Allard who I, I will admit, uh, Niv and I, and I'm team we co-manage, grabbed Allard and then moved on from Allard uh, very quickly. And the, the reality is he had a uh, he had a bad start against Seattle, at Seattle, following up a bad start at Colorado. He put up a total of negative 18 points over two starts over 3.2 innings. It was a bad 3.2 innings for him. However, uh, he still is over, I think, four point four, almost 4.7. He's 4.74 points per inning over his six starts, including those two bad ones. So when you take out those two bad ones, he's actually up over six points per inning. Um, so... Justin, you are in this league with Niv and I. I would prefer, like, if you could just wait the 30 days so that we can get him back instead of taking that cap hit away from us. I'm happy to sit on that cap hit for another 30 days because I think uh, Allard's really interesting. You really don't need to worry about it, Chad, because I, <laughs> I have absolutely no interest in Allard. I don't want to burst your bubble, but, uh, yeah, he's got the per, the points per innings pitch doesn't look so bad because he's got under a 5.5% home run per fly ball, and that's even though he's been pretty low in his career, it's not a very big sample. It's 78 innings over his career. Uh, he's an 8.3% home run for fly ball. But the XFIP and the other peripherals are not good for Allard. So he's – that might be – that doesn't mean he's not going to perform well, but that's the sort of guy that, like, I'm just blind to, that if they don't yeah. have those measurables there, I just – it's like they don't even exist to me. So Yeah, I think he's interesting because his – he's striking out more guys than he has in the past. Um, he – his walks – that Seattle outing, like Seattle was a disaster for him. He went two thirds of an inning. He walked two guys. He gave up five hits. There wasn't even a home run in there and it was a disaster. Um, but outside of that, he's actually controlled the walks better than he has in the past. Um, his last appearance in AAA in 2019, he had a higher home run per fly ball rate. But other than that, his minor league stats, he's controlled home runs pretty well. Uh, I, I think that there's, I think there's more than meets the eye here. I, I think that um, he's a guy whose peripherals may catch up with the performance rather than the other way around, which which is not often the case. But he does strike me as a kind of guy who, like, if that home run if that home run suppression is real, 
And if it's not, it's not, and this could all fall apart. But if that home run suppression is real, he's already pitching well, and I think there's upside for him to be better than that 3.77 fit because I think, you know, sometimes you, you can never write off a bad start because it happened, right? And so it's I, I, I often think it's unfair to just ignore a bad start um, unless it's a Colorado maybe. Like maybe you just ignore a Colorado start because – you know, you can depends on who the pitcher is and where, what division they're in and how often they're going to pitch at Colorado. Um, but I, 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 I sort of look at that Seattle start with Allard and it's like, he had a stinker. If he pitches, if he had 30 starts this year and that one stinker was in there, it would get washed. It would come out in the wash. It wouldn't really yeah. be an issue. And I, I don't know, we're never going to get enough starts from him this year to know that. Um, but I'm going to be watching really closely. If there isn't another start like that from him, uh, he starts to get really interesting to me in the future because I think that he's I think he's better than his peripherals look, um, and better than his sur- sur- his surface numbers look. He has a 5.4 ERA. Like he looks good in, in points. He doesn't look good in any other format right now. But I think there's more to him than that. Yeah, and I will say you you sort of alluded to it earlier as well. Starting pitching is pretty thin, and we were looking at some of these names, and I was sort of doing the other research when I was looking at the, my little calculated ERA spreadsheet where I look at all the ERA estimators. There are many interesting reliever names that are available in these buckets. There really are not very many starting pitchers. So maybe he's an option. Are there any others you'd point to? I mean, I, if you want to call him a starter, Adrian Morohan is currently rostered in under 31% of leagues. He's sort of in a similar, like a mini version of Dane Dunning for me. The performance over his two abbreviated starts has been pretty good. He's got a 34.7 CSW, which is nearly as good as Dunning's. Um, I'd be interested in him, and I would probably add him before I would add Allard, but there's a lot more variance there. And if I needed innings, obviously Allard is going to be a better bet to give you innings going forward than Morohan. Yeah, I mean, he's he's made three appearances this year. Two as a, a starter, but yeah, they, they were, were three innings and 1.2 innings. Now, the 1.2 right. innings was bad. Um, and, they, and obviously, they just added Clevenger, so I don't know what they're... I mean, I don't think he's going to be in, in the rotation mix necessarily. Yeah. The, so. the other starting pitcher who shows up in this bucket who is maybe interesting is TJ Anton with the Reds. Um, his role, I think similar, similarly, like his role is a little bit unclear. He's made a couple starts. He's also made five relief appearances. Um, one of his starts was pretty solid. One of his starts was not solid. Um, depending on how you look at it, like his most recent start against the Cubs, five strikeouts, one walk, only three hits allowed in four innings, but two of them were home runs. So he ended up at, at 4.2 points over a four inning start, which is, you know, not going to cut it. Um, but again, it's, you know, how much was that just, he just happened to give up two home runs. If he gives up one home run, then he's got a pretty good start there, actually. Like, if, if, if one of those two home runs gets caught at the track instead of getting out. I wonder on this stuff, like, expectations cannot be on. I apologize if you pick up any thunder in the background. There's a huge storm coming through here right now, but... Uh, expectations just can't be high for pitching this year uh, at this point in the season. It's a super – we've been talking about this uh, in Slack and in other uh, channels uh, for a little while now. One of the big dynamics I saw on this trade deadline in League One, and I'm sure uh, you guys can vouch for this, pitching is super hard to come by this year. It is across the board hard to come by. 
Chad has been complaining about the head-to-head -to -head league having. Wow. Um, Thunderstorm. Yeah. <laughs> I think the building was... across the street just got hit. I could see the that flash. That was something. We're, we're in, in oh the... man. <laughs> Uh, you may do. May this is now a weather podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna have Mike Trout on any day now. Yeah. What the heck? All right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but, sorry about so that. Starting I mean, pitching. Starting <laughs> pitching, like I was saying, is the last words I would like to say uh, in my life. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I think um, again, this is like looking at the overall auto new dynamic and your league's dynamic, uh, but. Pitching is super hard to come by. I think your expectations should be low uh, when you're trying to push here. And I think in those cases, like the names uh, that you guys are discussing make a lot of sense. But you got to have – like these are spot start guys at this point, right? If you are competing and you are uh, competitive past the trade deadline and you have – that means you've had good pitchers already. Uh, it's super unlikely that you've been just totally bad on pitching. My my league one team would beg to differ. Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Uh, I think I'm but, I think I'm twelfth in ERA and eleventh in WHIP, and maybe and, and eighth or ninth in home run per nine. The way <laughs> the way that your team is competing changes from minute to minute in that league because uh, there are massive swings in fourth and fifth place right now. Yeah. Um, but but I think you know when maybe this all deserves a huge caveat. Like, uh, look for like maybe start looking at prospects that might get a spot start here or there down the end. But he's pitch I mean, pitching is just, I, this might be worth its own pod to itself, but 2020 pitching has been brutal. Starting pitching has been just. Yeah. And I was just looking, so I posted the power rankings. I'm, I'm working on the August power rankings right now, but when I'm looking at my post from July and that was only two weeks at that time, but pitching had a 4.84 in Fangrass points. The average team had a 4.84 points per innings pitched um in july and in all of 2019 that number was 4.72 right now through the end of august that number is down to 4.49 so I, I don't know i'd have to go back historically to see how that compares to like 2018 2017 but that's as low as it's been in a while and it's been bad um it almost looked like pitching might be rebounding a little bit earlier in the year when hitters were struggling. We, we mentioned it on the podcast, but it feels like it, the, it's gone in completely the other direction, especially yeah, over I the mean, last it, month. It's, it, Chad mentioned this, and, and Chad, I'll let you run with it, but you you just said hitters caught up. like It was like spring training for the first. I think that's right. I mean, I think that, and look, I'm not, I'm not a coach or a scout or a major league baseball player, but my, my assumption coming into the year was – um, for a pitcher to go, I need to work on my curveball. Can somebody stand over there and let me throw curveballs is much easier than for a hitter to say, I need to work on facing a 94 mile per hour slider that breaks from one side of the plate to the other. Can someone just toss me a few of those? Um, and so my assumption had been that once the season started, you'd have a bunch of hitters who were like trying to get their feel for how they're going to, how their swing is going to work this year. Whereas pitchers were going to be in basically ready to go because they were able to sort of stay in shape um, and game shape, I guess I'd say. And I, I could be totally wrong uh, that that's what happened, but it certainly looks like that's what happened. But um, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> right. We can build a narrative. So, like, but... yeah, no, I'm just saying, I, I, I agree. That's right. It is. It's, it is. This is me looking at what, ha this is me having predicted what I thought was going to happen, seeing the results 
justifying what I thought and therefore right. assuming I'm right, which yeah. I might have been right, but it could have been anything. It could have been right. you know, I don't know. Well, because there's a lot of weird external factors this year that yeah. we can't really completely understand what effect that's having on on performance on the field. Right. So, um, so the other the other thing I do want to mention though is we're talking about pitching. You, you started to say before Justin that uh, relief pitching in this in this bucket, this under fifty percent bucket, is not thin, and there are like there are some names out there. I think AJ Minter is getting very close to that fifty percent line. I would encourage you to push him over that edge if you if he's available in your league. Yep. Um, Jake McGee has been really good and and is even lower rostered. Um, Jose Cisnero, there's some questions, I think, but his, his results have been really good. Uh, we've talked about Evan Marshall on, on the podcast before. I'm a big fan of his. He's still in this bucket. Um, David Phelps, uh, Peter Fairbanks has been getting some attention in some of my leagues and, and it looks pretty good. Uh, John Gant isn't someone I would consider sort of special, but he's performing well and he's available. And if you need relief innings, he can give them to you. Yeah, I mean, with David Phelps specifically, it's not a sexy name. It's not an exciting name. He's just sort of a veteran reliever. Um, but on this calculated ERA sheet I have, he's the fifth best relief pitcher um, behind Karinchak, Devin Williams, Liam Hendricks, and then Beeks, who's now hurt, and then it's David Phelps. So he's been fantastic. Um, I don't know yeah. where it's coming from, but sometimes relievers just have you know odd seasons even when it's a – 162 game season much less an abbreviated season so he's been pitching really well and um really you you're not going to find anybody available right now that's pitching better than phelps has been so yeah i, I agree i think it makes th th those are just I, I think with relievers if you need relievers first of all like don't wait go get them because you can churn through them if you need to we've talked about that here before that's certainly a a philosophy of the the podcast team here that you can turn through relievers there are some names out there though and these guys are going to be available in most leagues yeah and, and one thing i want to mention is we I, I feel like we probably did mention this in the preseason we were doing the positional preview episodes and stuff but this going through the exercise of researching and following up on chad's research for this episode really reinforces the point that i do believe which is that relief pitching is just so much easier to find in season that you shouldn't over invest as far as keepers or the auction before the season starts because it's just available. Like there are so many relievers that not only are interesting, but are performing very well. And you know, they're not all going to continue to be because they're very tiny samples. Yes. And that's why you're seeing that more often. Um, but some of them are going to be for real and, and there's lots of interesting names at, at the relief pitcher and much and I, less I so at like mind. starting pitcher. Yeah, and I would keep in mind that, like, we right now, you know, we're halfway through the season. There's only four weeks left. You've got to act fast. If this were a regular year, owners would be or managers would be even more deliberate about adding these guys. More of these guys would be available because people wouldn't have reacted quite as strongly yet. And you could potentially pick up a Minter or a Phelps or a Marshall and get 80% of a season out of them. Right. And if now some of these guys aren't going to be that good for 80% of the season, and you're going to have to react to that too. But there's in a normal year, there's a real opportunity to have to build a bullpen right now. Right. And by the end of the year, not even remember that you had a garbage bullpen for the first month because it was, it was a small influence. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. So let's, right, let's I jump think... down to the next bucket. I think, right. Yep. Guys under 25% rostered. Okay. Um, you wanna and start... I think there is, yeah, there's a, there is a name 
that to me jumps off the page and maybe it's just this week. Um, but Alex Dickerson's a guy I've been looking at. I've been looking at him since the beginning of the year. Um, I picked him up in league one and then dropped him about two weeks ago. Cause he just, ouch, everything looked good, but he wasn't really performing and he wasn't yeah. playing regularly. Sometimes and you have a roster crunch and you just have to, it just was, he was the wrong missed, guy at the wrong time. He missed the game. Yeah. I missed the game, but the, it's not just the game. He's been really good, and he's been really good all year. He just hasn't had regular playing time. Now he's getting that playing time, and it's showing up. Um, I I still, like, they may find themselves in a little bit of an outfield crunch. Slater should be back. I think Austin Slater should be back at some point. Um, and he was also legitimately very good when he was playing. Um, yeah, it's, he could be back this weekend. So... I don't. I part of me is like I don't know that I want. What I want to do is Slater and Dickerson because they're going to end up sharing time very likely. I have no idea what that Giants outfield is going to look like. Um, it has been a really, really long time since I've looked at the Giants and been like, man, they have too many guys I'm interested in. <laughs> Which, who, who am I going to pick up? Who's going to get the playing time? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but Dickerson's a guy like he's what 16% rostered, and yep. that's just wrong. He's just better than that. Well, um, and. We- and yeah. Well, we, we we are we let off sort of with Garrett Cooper, and I mentioned that he was top of the the sheet that I had here with the Statcast metrics. Dickerson is basically tied with him. He's he's number two, but it's a virtual tie. Um, Dickerson's ninety sixth percentile in max exit velocity, eighty eighth percentile in barrel rate, eighty first percentile in hard hit percentage. Um, so, I mean, the Statcast data backs it up. He's had some sort of interesting. Um, you know, partial seasons before this. It's not like he's never hit well. He's hit well pretty much every year. Um, and I think that he's just been a guy that's been hurt and and we've just been waiting for him to be healthy and maybe he will be going forward, which would be great because I think he's a good hitter. So, um, you know. I'm it, looking I'm looking at the Giants roster right now and I think the big question for me is are they going to be comfortable running Yastrzemski out as their everyday center fielder. Because right now, if you look at their depth chart on MLB.com, they've got Dickerson in left, Yastrzemski in right, and Steven Duggar in center. Mauricio Dubon's been playing some center field as well, um, as they're trying to get a sense of what he could do out there. Those two guys have not been very good. When Slater comes back, if you can slot him in, I, I, you have to slot him in somewhere. Maybe he can play center. I guess he could play center. There's no reason he couldn't. Um, I just, like, ideally, the Giants would let Slater, Yastrzemski, and Dickerson play basically every day. I just don't know if they're going to. Yeah, I don't know either. Because, um, I mean, Dubon has, has started in center each of the last four games that they've played. So, um, at least at the moment, given the current roster construction, he's their center fielder. But he's also a guy that can move around a lot. I mean, he's he's an infielder by trade. So, um you know, maybe he becomes a utility and a super util, and and when Slater's back, he gets bumped out, and somebody else, like you said, somebody else, yeah. whether it's Yastrzemski, plays well, center field. Yastrzemski was their regular center fielder, so Yastrzemski's got 24 starts in center field this year, um, and now has been in right field for for 12 starts. But I think that's tied to Slater being out. So my my hope is that what we're going to see is Slater's going to take over every day in right field. Yastrzemski's going to move back to center, and, and Dickerson's going to have every day in left. And Duggar and Dubon will spell those guys, and that's fine. Yeah. Um, but if, if that's the case, um, 
I mean, Yastrzemski's owned everywhere, so rostered everywhere, so you don't have to worry about him. I don't know. I should look up Slater. I'm not really sure where he is, but he's another guy. He didn't pop up in my my research for this. Um, he's 75% rostered, so he's still on. He, he's he's too well rostered. But if he's available, he's another guy. Like all three of those outfielders are really good. Um, the Giants can hit. Who knew? Yeah. Um, I, I, you 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 had a note out here on, and I, you know, I hate to bring him up because I. I once called way back in the day when he was still a prospect, I called Heimer Candelario a fringe third baseman for Autonew. And I got a little bit of flack from a commenter on that. Um, I still think he's a pretty fringy third baseman, but he has been hitting very well. um, And he's 18% rostered. So again, like we mentioned earlier uh, with Dahlbeck, if you need first base, third base help, there's much worse targets right now than Candelario. Um, yeah, he he's a guy who, when you look at his, uh, if you go to Fangraphs and just look at like his batting average and balls in play and stuff like that, he looks like a guy who is destined to regress massively. Yeah, because he's got a 370 BABIP right now. So yeah, but then if you go to uh, Baseball Savant or I guess now at Fangraphs as well, and you look at his, his StatCast data, his StatCast data is pretty solid. And all of a sudden, he's got a, he has a 359 WOBA and a 354 X WOBA. So there's the That's balance is going to change somehow, but he's hitting the ball really hard. Um, and so, and he's not, like, he's 26, and he was a, like, he's a post-hype guy at this point. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he changed something. I'll be super like, he's a guy who in the off season I'm going to be I want to read about because I want to he- I want somebody to get the article that says the interview that says yeah I spent last off season doing X and it really changed the way I see the ball and I'm just hitting the ball harder now and like might that all be noise sure but it's he's doing something different. There's some like his his exit velocity is over 90 it hasn't been over that since six since 2016 when he had six batted balls like that was noise his hard hit percentage is over uh, is 43.5 he's been basically between 33 and 34% his entire career every year he's at 33% hard hit all of a sudden he's over 43% something is different there and well, whether or not it maintains for the whole season or a whole full season who knows but something is different well, I, I will say straight up that this is not what I think the difference is, but he is playing first base now instead of third base. So you could <laughs> you could craft a narrative that says that he's not doesn't have quite the defensive uh, pressure at first base rather than third base. Although you could make the same argument that learning that position maybe does. But isn't that pressure, also? But hasn't that only been going on for like two weeks since? Yeah, since Paredes Crown got called down. Up, two or two or three. Yeah, two or three weeks I think. But I'm just saying, like, if you you know. We have to we have to think of a you know posit the hypothesis and then prove it with whatever data you can find whether it's anecdotal or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I think the the challenge I have with Candelario is his his walk rate is down. It'd be a career low walk rate. His strikeout rate is basically like it was twenty five point six last year, twenty five point eight the year before. It's twenty three point six now. It hasn't really moved. Um, and we're and he's he's hitting fewer fly balls and getting a lot more line drives and ground balls. So like, I, there, there's a bunch of red red flags here. I just I think I just figured it out. I just looked at his splits on Fangraphs as a first baseman. It's a 393 woba. As a third baseman, it's a 312. Man, there you go. Close the is, book. That is not nothing. 
That well, is now that we've solved and that one. Yeah, so there you go. As long as he plays first base, he's going to mash. So. so so watch what the Tigers do in free agency. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Once I, it becomes a fringy first baseman instead of a fringy third right. baseman, then we can be on board. But anyways, he's a, a guy worth looking at. I think there's a handful of other bats out there. Um, Miguel Rojas, another guy I'm sort of skeptical of, but he's hitting, and there's nothing that sort of I've, jumps out as crazy. I roster him in League One, and I'm skeptical of him, even though he keeps hitting. And it's frustrating because uh, you feel like you have better options. If you feel like you have better options than mid, in middle infield or whatever, uh, but this, this $2 super freely available guy just keeps hitting. Yeah. And I don't know what... Like, that's kind of like a weird... I just added Corey Seager at the trade deadline, and I don't have a place to play him because uh, Miguel Rojas keeps hitting. So, like, I, I, I'm waiting for that to deflate, too, because it doesn't seem real to me. Um, it's not a ton of power, I don't think. Um, and it just it just seems, like, kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. But, but the other point you have on this is super right, which he has bonus games. So yes. if you're... If you're behind, man, get those Marlins, get those Cardinals. They were dummies last month, and now they are going to pay off playing 55 games in 12 days or whatever <laughs> right. they're doing. Uh, but if well, you need I, to catch up on games, um, seven-inning games are better than not having those games. Right, right. Yeah. And so I think there's a few other bats just to throw out here. A couple of a couple of Mariners. Um, Sam Haggerty, who I'm not a huge believer in, but... Like, from the StatCast data, he's sort of like Candelario, but with speed. Like, the StatCast data looks pretty good, and so maybe he's, he's legit. Um, the Mariner I'm more interested in is Ty France. Uh, just came over in the, the trade with the Padres. He's been legitimately good, and I think one of the things I tend to do when I'm, when I'm searching for players is search by, like... Like, I sort by points per game or something like that. France is a guy who, who gets hidden if you look at points per game because of his role in San Diego. I imagine he's just an everyday player in Seattle right now, at least for the time being, while they see what they've gotten him. And on a, on a per-plate appearance basis, he's been great. And so I, I'm super intrigued by him. Um, going back to the Giants, Evan Longoria is having the best season he's had in years, and the underlying data really backs it up. I wrote about him a little bit on, on points above as a stat cast um, by low guy um and so i think again another third base option there uh france also by the way plays multiple positions i think first second and third he's eligible and so those are all guys from the from the bats and then i, I promised you a catcher at every level uh jan gomes is my 25 to 50 percent rostered catcher um he's playing about every other game roughly he and suzuki are in basically a, a job share it seems um but he's good, and he hits, and he's got good power, and he's got a, a bit of a track record. And um, I, I think the fact that he's playing every other day probably helps him stay rested. Uh, and so if you need catching games, he's a, he's a good one to go get, and you can just plug him in. You know, you'll get another 15 games out of him the rest of the way, and they'll be pretty solid. So um, let's jump to pitchers, unless you guys have any other bats in this group you want to No, I think uh, you there. were pretty exhaustive with the, any of the names that I would want to mention, yeah. Yeah. So in this one, there actually there's a starting there's another starting pitcher that I like that I'm sure Justin is going to tell me I'm just wrong about, <laughs> um, and I'm going to struggle with his name, so I apologize. But Nick Mar Marjavicious, is it yeah, Marjavicious? I think that, that's right. I, I um, in, my, in my head I call him Margavicious, but I don't know if it's Margavicious. Marge well, or Marg. it's he he pitches for Seattle, uh, so you should go look at go look at <laughs> Seattle's roster if you can't figure out what we're talking about. Um, He's a weird guy because he's made seven appearances this year. His points per inning pitch is just 4.26, which is not very good. But 
If you only look at his four starts and ignore his relief appearances, his four starts are over five points per inning pitched. I don't know why that is. There aren't usually guys who play up as starters in that way. Like that doesn't that doesn't seem real. But he's been really good as a starting pitcher, uh, and I, I'm I'm intrigued. He doesn't walk anybody. Um, if you look at his his major league numbers this year, he's walking 1.75 per nine. He walked three per nine last year, and so it seems like this came out of nowhere. But like if you look at his minor league track record, he walked one to two batters per nine inning everywhere he went throughout his minor league career. So he, he's he's in the zone. He doesn't uh, he doesn't give up a lot of free base runners. His issue uh, in the majors last year in particular was strikeouts. He only struck out under seven per nine. He's now up over eight, which isn't a ton. But if you don't walk anybody, it's enough. Um, and he's not going to be a star. He just—I just don't think he's got the—I don't think he has the raw talent really to to strike out enough guys to be a star starting pitcher. Um, but he's performing pretty well, and I'm—I I think right now there you could do a lot worse than a guy who's striking out almost a batter an inning, eight per nine innings, and not walking very many and so far isn't giving up much in the way of home runs either. Yeah. I'm not really going to push back on that call out. Um, I'd, I'd rather add him than Allard. I think Um, I agree. It's not exciting. There's not a lot of upside there, but he's been above average um, by any peripheral or metric you want to look at. So um, yeah, the strikeouts aren't great and that doesn't play very well in Fangrass points specifically, but um He's functional. Uh, another guy that's functional that I wanted to mention is Michael Waka. Um, he's actually got a very similar sort of component ERA uh, as Margavicious does. Um, he's 12.4% rostered. Uh, Waka's CSW is not very good, though. I will say that right up front. He's got a 26.8. Um, so that's a very low upside pick as well. But, again, if you're chasing innings and you just need – somebody that's in a rotation. I mean, you, this is where you get sometimes, even on a contending team. Um, I have a, a couple contending teams where I'm running short on innings and I just need to add somebody. Um, and these are names that... You can be judicious with these starts, right? Right. You, can, and, you don't have to start every time out. Yep. Yeah, and that's, and that's another factor too. You know, I, I don't know if we were talking about this while we were recording or beautiful. but Chad and I were discussing that too, that of new rosters are deep enough that some of these players you can add and just sort of stick on the back end and see if it if the performance keeps up or if there's an improvement um you know you don't have to it's not like a a lot of roto leagues you in order to add somebody in free agency you have to put them in your lineup right away you don't have to do that in auto new you can sort of bank um and stash some guys on your 40-man roster yeah, we, so we talked about that before we were recording we we're talking about that with dunning actually that like had you jumped at Dunning the second he was called up and said, I don't know if he's going to be good, but he's worth looking at, and I'm interested in him, and gotten him for, you know, two, three bucks, dropped him on your roster, and then decided, I don't know enough about him, and so there's no chance I'm going to use him for his first two starts. You would have missed those two starts. That's unfortunate because they were really good. You have a but you have him for a buck or two, you right? Right, rather than eight, nine, right. ten. And, and if he had gotten shelled in those two starts and you decided, forget it, I'm out, then you dump him and you move on to whoever's next and it's fine. Um, but yeah, I, I think, I think that's the reality here with these. You're, you're asking for guys who are on less than 25% of a rostered in less than 25% of leagues. They're going to have warts. If they didn't have warts, they wouldn't be in, the, they wouldn't be able to be they discussed be here. Together, so, right. but I think, you know, there aren't a lot of good starting pitching options again, but there are some relievers who are interesting. 
Um, is it, is it, there's another name I don't know. Jolie Rodriguez, Joely Rodriguez with the Tiger or with uh, the Rangers has been really good um, and is only uh, is rostered in less than 20% of leagues. Um, I think there's like a few others. Chris Martin, Tanner Scott, um, Tyler Clippard has been quite good. Um, Yoshi Hirano in, in Seattle is now the closer, which if he can hold on to that job, or I think he's the closer, he's going to be the closer. If he can hold on to that job, that comes with some points, even though he hasn't been particularly good. It's also only been three innings for him this year. Um, it, it's there, there are more options here. There's still not, this isn't like the tier above where I felt like we were just like flush with relief pitchers, but there are some names that are going to be available in, in a lot of leagues that I think are worth looking at. Um, I, I was disconnected there for a moment, so I think you probably mentioned this name. I'm sure you did, um, Jolie Rodriguez. The one thing I wanted to follow up with him is his component ERA is very good. He's got a 34.5 CSW, which isn't fantastic for a reliever, but is very good and better than a lot of the other names we're going to mention um, on the reliever side. So he would be definitely the priority reliever target for me in this bucket. Um, the rest are sort of afterthoughts for me personally, but... Um, Jolie Rodriguez would I be think my that's right. one. So, all right, why don't we? Yeah, he was the one I started with. I think that's absolutely right. Yeah. Um, why don't we shift over to the under ten percent rostered uh, names here? If you want to start leading us off with those. Two. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna go through a uh, a pair of former Cleveland Indians middle infield prospects who are both uh, I, I think pretty interesting right now. Um, Willie Castro now with the Tigers. Um, has pretty good minor league numbers going back a few years. He was a guy who, when the Indians moved him, um, I wasn't real happy about it. It wasn't a, it, the trade itself was fine. He's just a guy who I believe in. He's still only 23. Those good minor league numbers have come when he was basically young for his level at the upper levels. And he's putting up almost six points per game um, with the Tigers right now. It's uh, just under that over his last 10 um, and actually, if you look at his more recent, so among his last 10 games, he had back-to-back 0-4s, then had a, a game where he didn't actually get a plate appearance. Then there was a day off. And since the 20th, he's made seven starts and had um, 59.3 points. So it's only seven games, small sample, but you're you're looking for a guy who can who's basically freely available to you. He's rostered in under 10% of leagues, and you can dump him in as uh, a shortstop or a third baseman or at middle infield, obviously right now, like that's a pretty good place to be with him. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued by him and I think he's got some real long-term potential too. Uh, the other former Indians middle infield prospect is Eric Gonzalez with Pittsburgh. Eric Gonzalez has not been as good overall. Um, he's only looking at about four points per game. His last 10 games, though, uh, where he's been starting fairly consistently going back to about August 23rd uh, for those 10 games, he's put up 56 points over those 10 games. And, and the StatCast data for him, um, you know, I know, Justin, you were looking at the StatCast data for him. It looks really good. Sorry, Justin, I think you maybe. Oh, muted. I apologize. I was muted. Um, yes, his stack ass numbers are good. They're not amazing, um, but for looking at the range of, of players that we're talking about here, under 10% rostered, um, definitely good enough uh, 
to be worth an ad, to be worth a, a, a watch list at the very least. Um, another name that I want to mention real quick, you didn't have on your list and I added because you jumped out with the StackCast information and it's a very limited sample. It's only about 40 plate appearances and he's not playing very often is Matt Davidson for the Reds. Um, he's a guy that's had a little bit of buzz in the past uh, as, a, as a little bit of a masher when he was with like the White Sox. Um, his exit velocity, and again, this is a small sample, but among players with at least 20 plate appearances, his exit velocity, his barrels, and his hard hit rate are all 97th plus percentile. Um, he's stinging the ball. He's, he's really hitting well. The problem is he's basically relegated to DH and first base duties right now in Cincinnati, and those are taken up by the, the starters are Votto and Winker. So he really is just a mostly against left-handers or to, to spell Votto um, or, or slide into the DH spot when, when somebody else needs a day off. So, yeah, so the, the challenge, the challenge with Davidson right now is like, you look back at his game log and I'm not sure he's had a single useful fantasy game this year. Yeah. Because he's had some big games, but they've so come as pinch hitters. Yep. Yeah. Like, He's hit the ball hard, but like that pinch hit home run is not that useful. Yeah. And that, like, he's got a couple of games where he had two plate appearances and, and put up some points. And I can't tell immediately. I'll have to go look to see if he was the starter or if he came in late in those games. But like he's a guy who, if he starts, there's a very good chance he gets two, maybe three plate appearances because um, he might get pulled for a pinch hitter. Um yeah, if I look back at those two games, his two sort of valuable games, he had he had home runs on August 11th and August 21st. He didn't play in between those days. Um, and one of those, he was a pinch hitter, and one of them, he only got two plate appearances as a quote-unquote starter. Um, he's only really had one other valuable game. It's And so it's a little bit like he's sort of a poor man's Brousseau, right. <laughs> given the conversation we're With having worse eligibility without you know without right. the extra eligibility so right um yeah I, but i think i think again no you know we're talking about guys who are rostered in under 10 percent of leagues and like i mean one of the names i put out on my list was ronald guzman who like if if davidson is a poor man's uh Brousseau with worse eligibility guzman is a poor man's davidson with worse <laughs> eligibility like it's just going downhill um Guzman is a guy who I put on here mostly because like he's got a little bit of a quad A profile. He's been good in the minors. He's never really put it together in the majors, but like the Rangers seem to have handed him the first base job, at least for now. And so this is his chance to prove himself and he's got enough talent to go on a little tear. So maybe keep an eye on him. Um, he's available. You can go get him. If he's rostered in your league, I'd be super surprised. Right, right. Yeah, and, and I don't know if I, m I mentioned it explicitly, but Davidson is rostered in 0.7% of, of leagues. So he is, I mean, rostered as little as you can be while actually being on auto new rosters. So. Yeah. Ronald Guzman is at a robust 2.3% <laughs> as a point of comparison. So, is yeah, these guys are, are definitely out there. Um, the other name that and I keep, I, I, have a, I have a tendency to pick names that I can't pronounce, so I'm going to do another one. Um, Luis Guillorme with the Tigers, with the Tigers, with the Mets, um, is not playing very regularly, but over his last 10 appearances has put up 62 points. Um, he's averaging 5.26 points per game this year, and that's with a lot of sort of pinch hit and short appearances. The 
he he is he qualifies at uh, second base and and shortstop. I I don't know what the Mets are doing with their lineup um, on a regular basis now. I, McNeil seems to be sort of uh, losing time. They went out and got Todd Frazier, which pushes people around. Their middle infield is not sort of impacted that by that as directly, but. It's just unclear to me where he plays or how often he plays, especially with Cano being back now. But I'd watch the Mets for for injuries. Um, and if this guy starts to get some some playing time, he's hit the ball well, and so he's worth sort of keeping an eye on. He's he's played second, third, and short for them this year. So anywhere that time opens up, he could theoretically step in. Um. Where okay, I think that's probably you want to mention your catcher. You haven't mentioned your catcher of the group here, so why don't we do? Yeah, that Kirk we'll... Casale, he's a catcher. He's available. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all there is to it. If, if you've come down this far for a catcher that's available, he's he, he's it. Your name. I, I, I yeah. will say, I mean, he's he's got above average uh, stat cast performance. So I mean, it, there I think there are worse catcher targets, even for you know someone that's seven percent rostered. So. Yeah, I mean, if you if you are really desperate and you can't get anyone else, he's he's an option. Yeah, I mean, the na- the <laughs> nature of this group is it's not going to be a lot of exciting names. It's not going to be you know, there's not going to be a lot of league winners here for sure. But mm-hmm. um, the best you can hope for is just somebody who finds a finds a spot in your in your rotation of options um, going forward. So. Um, so what about starting pitchers? Yeah. Are there any unexciting ones? <laughs> so the the three names here are Trevor Rogers, Josh Fleming, and then I also had Chase Anderson here as a note. Um Fleming has done pretty well, but it's again, it's I think it's he's another one of these guys that's only had like mini starts. Like it's not even full. I think he's like a two or three. I I'd have to double check real quick. Um yeah, five innings. Yeah, he's got start, two starts with ten which innings. Actually, is better than I than I thought. Um, but he's performed really well across those two starts. So I'm interested. Um, that being said, his CSW is terrible at 22.6. So it's that's not encouraging at all. Um, so I don't know if he's just doing it with smoke and mirrors or what. Um, but he's five percent rostered. Um, Trevor Rogers is sort of the inverse of Fleming, where the the peripherals don't look great but the CSW is about average. So maybe you could dream on that a little bit. Um, he's 7.8% rostered. Um, and then Chase Anderson, sort of a slightly better combination of those two where his uh, peripheral performance has been good, not great. Um, and his CSW is a little less than Rogers, but better than Fleming. So they're not attractive options. They really aren't. Um, I don't see any starting pitchers in this range that I'm really going to go out and get. I think I, added Fleming in one league because I wasn't really, I didn't really drill down on anything beyond the, the X fit basically. Um, but yeah. I, with the, with that bad of a CSW, I think it's, it's probably a pumpkin going forward. Yeah. The other, the only other name I want to throw out there is Trevor Cahill, um, who his surface numbers at 2.51 ERA this year. Um, but it's not backed up His his FIP and XFIP are both in the sort of mid fours. Um, but like he was legitimately good as recently as 2018. He was really bad last year, but you know, I, I don't know. In, in terms of a guy who has had a reasonable track record, he isn't quite 30. He, he's only he's not yet 33, so he's not that old yet. 
He's in a good park for pitchers in San Francisco. Like if you're looking for a guy that you just want to gamble on for a start here or there, uh, Trevor Cahill at a home start against a bad offense is you could do worse. Um, he's got the, I think the Diamondbacks coming up this weekend or something. And like, yeah, if I needed innings, I might throw him out there. These starting pitchers are basically turning into like elongated last day streaming type of strategies, right? Yeah. Like you really are thinking about it in terms of who they're facing and stuff. That's pretty interesting. I feel like very 2020-ish way of approaching this. But I think I mean, you're totally on point about uh, Cahill, right? Yeah, I mean, I just I, I'm not I'm not going to use him a lot, but I just I don't know if 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 I need innings somewhere, he's a guy who I can get them from, <laughs> and sometimes that's all you need. And like the Giants. Looking at the Giants' upcoming schedule, they're home to the Diamondbacks. Yeah. Then they're home to the Mariners. Now, he's probably only going to get – he's going to get the Diamondbacks, probably not the Mariners. Then they're at the Padres. And I'm not going to touch him at the Padres if he gets to start there. But then they're at the Mariners, and I might start him there. At the A's, probably not. The Rockies at home, I would start him against the Rockies at home before they end with the Padres at home, where, again, I'm not going to touch him probably. So, like – Depending on how it starts break. innings out of that, that could be like really, yeah, really helpful, right? Now, and it and it depends on how the schedule works out. Like he might, maybe he misses the Rockies and gets like and misses the Mariners and just has like the start against the Giants or the start against the Diamondbacks and then goes Padres, A's, Padres, and like I'm not going to use him at all. Um, but if he doesn't, if he instead gets, you know, the Mariners, the D-backs now, the Mariners, then the Rockies to end the season. That's that's three starts you can use him in where maybe he's not going to be great, but if you need innings and he can get you, even if he gets you three points per inning over those three starts, that may be really valuable. And there and he has the potential to do better than that because he strikes out enough guys that he can that he can do well. Uh, another giant who's hurt right now, um, but I believe has a possibility to slide back into that rotation once he's healthy um, is Drew Smiley which, again, not an exciting name, a veteran guy. Um, but he pitched pretty well in two starts. Uh, didn't go very deep into those games, but um, a 34.1 CSW, which is very good for a starting pitcher. He's 8% rostered. Um, I don't know that I'm adding him, but maybe if I'm waiting until he's healthy and maybe seeing one start from who's, him and then thinking about. Who's he going to step in for? I, I don't know. Um I mean, Cahill's really the only one he could pace, maybe replace. Uh, I, with a mid-twos ERA, Cahill's not going anywhere. Yeah, but I think Logan Webb has a four seven one ERA, and, and the, the peripherals are better than that. But, I mean, they may look at that and bump him out. Um, Tyler Anderson's— Maybe, but Logan Webb's also the only one of those guys who's part of their future. <laughs> Correct. Right? Like, well, okay, so Logan Webb is so Tyler Anderson would probably be four twenty three. Tyler Anderson would be yeah. the answer. I mean, he's thirty. He's not striking anybody out this year. He's four seven five ERA with an over six xFIP. Um, so he might be the guy that that gets kicked if Smiley comes back. And then of course Samarge is on the DL two on the IL two. So I don't know when he might be healthy. Um, they might have a little bit of a, a rotation crunch here. So some of these guys might might shift over to long relief. Um, yeah, I think I think looking at this, looking at their their rotation, I I can't imagine I can't imagine they're going to take Cueto out or Gaussman out or Webb out. Those are the three guys who, to me, are are locked into spots. And then I just don't know. I don't know, like between Anderson, Cahill, Samarja, 
and uh, Smiley, which of those guys, like which of those guys do they have options on for next year? Which of those guys do they maybe care about the future with? Because they're not really playing for this year, I don't think. I'm trying to look at like it's so hard for me to track what's going yeah. on in the playoffs this year. The I think the last playoff team, right? Oh, maybe they are. Maybe they're in the mix because the last playoff team in the NL right now is the Rockies, isn't it? And the Giants are only half game behind them. Right. Giants have so that, so, according to Fangraphs, Giants are forty two percent odds to make the playoffs. So they're sort of right there. Man. I mean, I think it's worth noting that eight teams making the playoffs in each league is stupid. Um, it, <laughs> it's fun this it year. Be, I get it. This is a different year. It, it depends it on the lens that you're looking at, right? In the lens of uh, are you major league baseball and do you want to make money? Maybe it's not stupid, but no, from I, the lens of competitive balance <laughs> and everything else, yeah, maybe it is stupid. No, I get. I get. Like, I, I think. I think. I do think one thing going on this year is because it's a short year. There's going to be some team that plays around 500 for two months that actually over six months would have been a 90 win team and belonged in the postseason. And so now you're you're making sure that everyone gets in, which I think is which I get, and I'm fine with that. I don't mind it this year. I really hope it doesn't stick around. I do not want to be in a situation next year yeah, where a team playing gets a playoff ticket. Yeah. yeah. The Giants are in fourth place in their division. They are playing 474 baseball. They are not a good team and should not be in the playoff picture yeah, in a normal year. Right. For uh, over 162 games, you don't feel like you missed something there, right? So. Right. So anyway. rant over. <laughs> we got sidetracked. Uh, we should talk very quickly about relievers because we talked about starters, but um, there are some guys down here. The guy that I'm I'm most excited about in this group of of relievers, I'm curious, Justin, who you want to talk about is um, Justin Merriweather uh, with the uh, the Jays, who I just think is actually talented. Or Julian Merriweather, right. sorry, not Justin. I I'm confusing my J names, um, but Julian Merriweather has been really good over seven innings, seven and a third innings over four appearances. He's uh, been used as an opener a couple times and been really good in that role, which now this is where league matters a lot, right? Like if you're in a Fangraphs points season long league, that's great because it's guaranteed solid innings. I guess not guaranteed solid innings. It's guaranteed innings that are likely solid on a cadence you can count on um, and basically allows you to extend your bullpen. Um, If you're in a head-to-head league, it's worthless to you. And actually, like I, I'm, he's a he is available in one of my head-to-heads, and I'm not even going after him because I have no use for him because I never use him as a starter, and I wish they would stick with him out of the bullpen. But um, he's been he's been really good, and in, in those those season-long leagues, his appearances have been one and a third, two, two, and two innings. Um, so he's getting you bulk innings at, at a high high success rate right now. Yeah, and his his calculated ERA on that sheet that I maintain is 204, which of all the reliever names that we mentioned, it's better than even David Phelps. Um, he just hasn't pitched as much as, as some of these other names like Julie Rodriguez and, and David Phelps. Um, but if you just p- look purely at that, he's been as good as, as anybody that we've mentioned tonight in this episode. So, And the CSW is, is right up there among those names as well um, with a 34.3. So I... I think he's for real. I think you're absolutely right. If I'm in a Fangrass points league, I'm very interested in him. In a head-to-head, I'd be less so, um, assuming he's going to continue to get some some of those opener um, spots from time to time. Um, another one that we've mentioned before, and I'm going to keep bringing it up because he doesn't seem to be rostered 
nearly as many places I would have expected as Tyler Matzik. Um, he's another one that is pretty high up on my on my calculated ERA sheet um, with a 2.44. He's 9.4% rostered. Um, 32.6 CSW, which isn't great, um, but not bad from a reliever. And I think he should be owned, you know, on more teams for sure. Um, I'm, I'm surprised he's been down that, that low because he's been pitching well. Yeah. I'm a big fan yeah. of Matzik as well. I think it's, I, it's I, surprising I, to me. He's so low. I think it's, uh, relief pitchers are a place where you should really consider churning. And I make this mistake often where, um, because they don't come in that often, uh, it doesn't feel reasonable to rage cut or yeah. whatever if someone has a bad outing. But these guys are, I mean, the, number, the relievers have been the highlight, I think, when we're going through this exercise. And so it sort of gives you an idea that um, maybe you should be churning your relief pitchers a little bit more because these guys, like, I mean, think about the guys who are high rostered. And, I mean, Matzik is as good as, yeah, and as good as certainly people in the 75% yeah, range. Yeah, and a lot of what I'm quoting is, is the peripherals, which is doesn't, you know, if they're not in high leverage situations, like in Fangraphs points, it's not going to help you too much, but you know, especially like in a, in a five by five where, yeah, you want saves, but otherwise you're getting good rates. Um, especially in a four by four where you really just care about rates and the role doesn't matter at all. Um, having some of this high, these higher skilled, at least in terms of where they're performing, um, relievers is, is a good thing. And these guys are, they're out there like they're freely available on and so many of these names i would add if i had room if i didn't already have six other relievers that i liked more um and i you know another one that i i highlighted him again he has a very similar profile to tyler matzik is caleb thielbar um he's owned in 0.3 percent of or he's rostered in 0.3 percent of leagues right now um i mean he's i don't know if he's for real i don't know if he's gonna be good going forward but you're not just picking up guys that you can dream on that could be good. You're picking up guys that have already been good and you just have to hope that they'll continue to be good, but the peripherals match right. it up. Like for like the, yeah. And again, use the pitch count thing on the, on the lineups page. Right. Uh, and you can, you can carry eight or nine relief pitchers. And, and, and that, yeah. Right? And that's a benefit as we've mentioned in prior podcasts, the more in a Fangrass points league and in a Sabre league, the more you can, move your innings pitched cap bucket to re the relief side rather than the starting side, uh, the better your yeah. performance is going to be because you're getting more efficient points per every inning that you're, you're using up of that, of that resource of your cap. Um, so yeah, yeah, sometimes it's hard to do that because of roster considerations um, to, to roster eight relief pitchers. But if you can do it, um, these, these would be guys that'd be perfect as a seventh or eighth relief option on your team. So. Well, I would like to end on that note so I can start some auctions in League One. <laughs> um, yeah, and we we had a we had a little bit of a lightning issue, and yeah, I, I got disconnected. So I'm hoping that all this is currently recording. So we just have to cross our fingers. But um, again, for everybody that takes the time to listen to these, I know this one. I can't even tell how long this one went because our timer stopped. So <laughs> I'm I know it's over an hour, but I hope it's not too much further than that. So. Uh, thank you for everybody that, that takes the time to listen to these, and we'll catch you next time.